Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you guys today to somebody that I met at the Agency Expo. I've known about this guy for quite some time, um, but finally got a chance to meet him in person, got to hear him talk about something very interesting that we'll dive into on the episode today, which is getting his agency valued by hundreds of people in that space that are constantly buying and valuing businesses and and all the learnings from that. He was recently named by the American Marketing Association, one of the top four under 40, not four zero, but just four (laughs) under 40. He is the CEO of Hawk Media, a full service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California that has grown to over 120 employees and is valued at more than $80 million in under five years, which is pretty crazy. They've worked with huge brands like Evite, Red Bull, Verizon, HP, and they were recently named on the top uh, Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies. Um, That was in 2017. Uh, They're one of the top 20 most promising digital marketing solution providers in 2017 as well. They're the the receivers of many awards, super impressive agency, super impressive growth, super impressive story, and a super impressive guy. So with all of that, Eric Huberman, thanks so much for making the time to be on the show, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. And I'm very excited to dive into some things today because um, you have bootstrapped your company to the size that it's at today. And more impressively, you've done that in a very short period of time. And that requires operational excellence to a certain degree, I'm sure. Um, And so I think there's just so much that we can extract from your experience. But before we get into a lot of that, I've given everyone some context, some accolades, but I'd love for you to share kind of a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, Yeah, backgrounds e-commerce, built and sold to e-commerce companies over the past decade, about six years ago, started advising and consulting for brands on how to grow and just found that basically if you're not a Fortune 500 or a really sexy startup, getting access to great marketing is really difficult. There's most of the agencies targeting the SMB space are terrible and hiring in-house, you're not going to be able to attract the top people. So you're kind of left with mediocre talent to build your business and the people that need it most can't get access to it. So you know, the, the thesis behind our company is really creating that accessibility to great marketing for everyone and allowing people to come in on an a la carte month to month basis and get fractional talent that are top trained, top tier experts to help on different aspects of their business, whether it's a Facebook marketer, an email marketer, a web designer, a CMO, et cetera. Hmm. And what was the moment that you knew you wanted to start an agency rather than just kind of consult um, on this kind of stuff or just kind of sit back and enjoy the fruits of your previous two companies that you had yeah. built and sold? I was going to say, I don't know that I, there was ever, there's, I don't think I've still hit the point that I want to start an agency, but um, I, <laughs> I do love what I do. I, it, it was organic. It was just, I was consulting because I didn't like, I don't like sitting still and just burning through savings. So I was consulting and advising. And that was working, but I needed help. So I hired a few people, needed more help, hired more people. And now we've got about 170 people. So it's, uh, it just continues to grow like a weed. And it's because I think we've found a niche that is completely underserved that 
needed help. And the funny thing is everybody that tries to compete with us doesn't have a background in building businesses. And so they end up selling snake oil. So we've got a, a more defensible business than I would have guessed because of the lack of people with my background and some of our executives background wanting to be in the agency business. I love it. I love working with different companies, helping entrepreneurs. Like I am truly passionate about what I do. We've been offered to sell the company quite a few times and we have passed and it's been enough money for me to retire at 32 off of, but (laughs) I I kind of like the idea of continuing. So, I mean, you've had incredible growth over, you know, the last few years. I mean, I think the first three years of your business, you guys went to over a hundred employees or something crazy like that. Um, And so, Obviously, that comes, I'm sure, with some challenges as well. Um, what have been some of the most challenging parts about growing an agency that fast? And how did you overcome those challenges? I mean, at the end of the day, most of the challenges are people. People are volatile. People are emotional. So like the bigger challenges we've had from a like micro perspective are individual employees having wigging out, having a bad day, having a bad month, having a bad year. And those have always presented challenges that sometimes we work through and sometimes we can't part ways. But you know, unreliability and the, the volatility of people has been a big challenge and will always be. But, you know, I, I would say that, but all, more than that even is as you scale really fast, we have no outside funding, no debt. You, even if we profited 50% last year, if we're growing at 100%, that means we only have a 25% holding this year and a 12% holding the next year. And so you, you start to realize that like profitability is great, all, but that cash has less and less of an effect on the amount of money we're spending. Our payroll now is the same monthly that our revenue was five years ago, <laughs> like for the year, not for the month. Yeah. So it's crazy and we're still profitable, but we do, we have at times gotten thin on cash because we step out, you know, we overstep a little bit and we go a little too big too fast and we spend the money to get there. We had to build an all new headquarters, hire an executive team, like build out this whole infrastructure to scale off of in the past year and a half. And it took a while to catch up in revenue so that we could actually make money with that team. And still they're completely underutilized. And I think next year is going to be a very exciting year for us because we have that all put together. We have a very well-functioning marketing and sales organization. We're doing an incredible job on our services team. And so now every metric in our business is moving in the right direction at a scale that actually is very meaningful. So it's fun, but the pain point is definitely that like those, there were times, what was it? April of last year, uh, right after tax day, I looked at our bank account. We had, you know, an $800,000 payroll and $13,000 in the bank. (laughs) So I had two weeks to figure out how I was going to get, it was actually, it's sorry, it's $400,000. It's 800,000 for the month. So I had to figure out, I was going to find about half a million dollars in two weeks, which we had the revenue for it, but we had to make sure that cash came in and like, that's not fun to get that low. And we've had times we haven't gotten that low again, but we've gotten other times where it's still thin. And so now we're coming, you know, we've come out of that quite a bit and Hmm. it gets more fun, but it's, I've even, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs that are a lot more successful than me. And when I told them about this story, they're like, Oh yeah, that'll happen again. Get ready. (laughs) It is very rare that when you're growing a business like this and you're not, you don't have a ton of outside funding and you're not publicly traded that you just have so much cash that you're never going to get thin on cash. Like, because the moment an entrepreneur has cash to go spend it on something, not saying personally, I'm saying business wise, if I had millions of dollars sitting in the bank account right now, I'd be finding places to invest it, not just sitting on it. So that's how it goes. 
Here's what I love about you, Eric. You didn't come from the agency space. You decided in 2014, you're going to start an agency. And then you figured out how to run that business model. You learned about the unit economics that were important. You learned about things like utilization and gross profit and capacity and and all these things, mostly I'm assuming out of necessity, but I'm really curious, like where, how you started down that path and when you started to realize that this stuff was important and that you had to get a handle on it if you wanted to, you know, grow as fast as you're growing. Yeah. I mean, I got lucky and <laughs> the first model I used to build, start the business was I'm going to pay you this flat base salary and then I'll give you, what was the number at that point? I think it was, yeah, 30% of what we get paid by a client I'll give you for working on it was the original model, which meant a 70% gross plus their base salary. So I had a little bit of a cushion in there. But then I like once we got grew a little bit, we actually cycled through those people that were on RevShare because most of those people didn't want to be at a job that they would ebb and flow in salary. So the next people we hired, we just modeled it that way that 30% of what we made was going to go to the person working on it. And then we started to build this model after I think about a year, we started to figure out like we were reactive. We went, that was what it was a year in a year. And we looked at what did we spend on overhead? What do we spend on uh, sales and marketing? What do we spend on people? And we had first year we had 40% profit. We knew that wasn't sustainable. And so we were like, okay, well, what can we expect on a pro forma basis? built a model for the organization and lo and behold, it's penciled out to this point. And don't get me wrong. We've overstepped on every, every one of those places we've overspent, but we know when we're overspending now, we know when, where, when we look at our profitability and it's not at a, you know 25% or 20%, we know we can look at our PNL and go, Oh, it's because we're overspending on overhead right now because like perfect example, we have an office if it's 250 people and we only have 170. So we have room for 80 people in our office space and don't have them, which means, you know, a, th- a third of the rent we're paying, which is about $120,000 a month, 40 grand is completely underutilized. So 40 grand of our profitability is gone for no real good reason other than growing in, growing into it. But that's the kind of stuff we can look at now and make conscious decisions on, do we want to sublet or do we want to just spend that for now to grow? Yeah. Okay. And I, for those that are listening, like I, I, I just want to, everyone to just understand what's going on here. Because I talk about this so much, I feel like I'm constantly banging my head against the wall about, you know, the, the literally the benchmarks that you just explained, the 70% gross profit, the 25 to 20% net, that's the kind of cash flow it takes to grow this fast. And you just, you know, a testament to it, you still run into spots where things got tight, understandably, oh, yeah. you had to make investments. So I profit last year was 8%, I think. So right. we missed, and, and, uh, again, 20 is the, about the goal. So that's a big miss. And, and so how did you figure out that like those were the benchmarks that you needed to hit? Did you read that somewhere? Or did you just figure like this, this is what I, I feel like we should be able to accomplish? We, we experienced it early on and I realized we needed to find ways to maintain that. That's what it was. Again, that's like I got, there's a lot of luck in the success here. And it's, you know, I, it was, I, I honestly can't quite remember where the like percentages came from but it's like what I felt comfortable with at a small scale. Like it wasn't this, I didn't have a grandiose plan to build. Now we have a multinational multi-billion dollar company plan that hopefully we'll see in the next 20 years. But with originally it was like, I had a plan to get to 10 million in revenue. And when we passed that, I was like, I literally was like, I don't know what, what, what we do now. I had a very clear path to 10 million, very clear. Knew what it was going to take. Like in my head, we were going to do it. It's going to take four years and that's what happened. And then, two years, almost two years ago when we hit it, I was like, okay, uh, now we got to reset and figure out what does the path, you know, and I threw out like, okay, what's the path to a hundred million. And we started to work through that. And 
the first year of working through that took, it's a lot harder. So we've had to figure stuff out. Now we've figured out a lot and we've started to make progress towards that. That's awesome, man. So you recently went through, you know, after all this growth, you talked about this at the agent sex. So I thought it was really interesting. You decided to go through a process, which is oh. essentially when you, you know, say, Hey, we're interested in maybe selling the business and a bunch of really smart people raise money. And we were actually looking to bring yeah. a private equity partner to buy like half the business and put money right. in to help expansion. That's what we were looking for. And so you had this influx of really smart people uh, that value businesses almost for a living come in and look at your business and you got a ton of feedback from that. What were some of the most interesting findings that you learned from that um, in regards to how you can increase the value of your agency and what, you know, really is important in increasing the value of your agency. Well, I'm also lucky. I'm married to a person in private equity. So she reminds me every day what I'm doing wrong on a value. (laughs) And by the way, the great thing about understanding why they'll value it is usually there's a good reason. So things like long-term contracts, they value that because it's consistency and reliability. They know that that can help. The problem with us is part of our secret sauce is not doing long-term contracts. So, that doesn't work. So we'll get it, but we will get a ding for not having that until we could, we proved out an average lifetime value and showed on the metrics. And it's like, we're based on averages and bought, you know, more of a game of numbers than we are just, uh, you know, having five clients each with three year contracts. I'd actually don't prefer that business, but that's one thing. Client concentration is a big one. If 80% of your revenue is coming from one client, they're going to be scared. Uh, for us, the, our biggest clients, maybe 2% of revenue. So we're really, that was a good thing for us. Recurring revenue, how long they're sticking around, how long your clients are staying with you and what contract renewal looks like. Cause that's like, is this a need or is this just a nice to have? And like how necessary are you specifically to the business is a big one. Um, i trying to think what else profitability, gross margin are both massive and really important. Um, there's games they play with profitability too, just to be on both sides where they call it ad backs, but like looking at uh, what everybody knows that if you run an agency and you own the whole thing, like there's going to be a lot of expenses on it that aren't necessarily needed to sustain. If you sell the company, like you probably put a few too many dinners on the company, that kind of thing. Everybody knows that there's also expenses that you spend that are more for long-term growth that you can try to argue don't belong on the PNL the same way and being justified that way. So that's part of the negotiation. Um, I will say something if anyone's looking to sell. I just learned something that hopefully never gets used against me, but apparently it will. Uh, a guy gave me really good advice. Has just sold his company for like three hundred million. Uh, you throw throw in a small wrench at the end of a nego- negotiation in a deal like this. Like right at the end, just be like, you know what? I'm not signing this non compete. Just do something small that just changes the deal slightly because private equity wants to do that. And if you do it first, it takes the focus off of it. And they end up trying to fight you on that versus throwing their wrench in, which says, you know what, we're going to keep a hundred grand or whatever they're are, you know, they look, that's a game they're playing. They're trying to keep money and maximize their returns. That's their game. So, so yeah, just one side note piece of advice, but those were some of the things they talk about tech enabled. That's another big thing. You know, how much of your business is just people and how much of it is defensible because you have your own proprietary technology. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. 
So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. But with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. So a lot of a lot of interesting things there. And it's it's no surprise that a lot of it comes back to well, essentially de-risking the business. Um, I, I forgot one, one more key one is growth yeah. rate. You need right. your profitability and growth rate are kind of an equation that you need to see. Uh, you know, it's I think together they need to be at least 40% to be considered a growing business. That's pretty late stage though. Like you want to see, you know, they want to see really fat rapid growth with profitability. Right. Okay. There you have it. And so it sounds like a lot of it too, is you being able to have measurement and metrics in place to be able to tell the story about the business and prove out um, things that de-risk the business. Like, Hey, we, we retain our customers for a long time. Hey, we make good margins. Hey, we manage the business. Well, well and, and generally the owner of the agency, like how much of a key man risk are you? If I give you some money for your agency or buy you and you decide you're bored in two years, which happens all the time, or you don't like me after a year because you don't want to have a boss what, what is the risk of the business? Are you driving most of it? That's, that's a big one too. Very cool. So hope everyone's taking notes at home. The next thing I want to dig into is, you know, you guys offer quite a few services, which is contrary to the story of a lot of agencies that I talk to that grow quickly. Most of the time they're focused on just a few things, but you guys have managed to do this while still offering a lot of different services to your clients. And so I I would love to dig into how you figure out, you know, when the right time to add a new service offering to your agency is and how you manage to do that profitably. Um, Because obviously that takes a lot of, again, operational experience excellence to be able to have a lot of these different functions going on, but still grow that quickly. Yep. Uh, I would say that's where, again, the, the, the person running an agency needs to actually understand how to build a brand in the business. So the services we offer are the things that our clients actually need in marketing. And that's why we offer them. And then the way we offer them are through keeping our gross margin the way we need it to be and like trying to, you know, we'll, we'll make an estimate of what kind of work we think if it's a new service, we'll make some estimates on what kind of work we think we can do and what we need to charge there. And then if we're wrong, we'll adjust it later and we'll take some risk. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect in the beginning. It's scale is when you have to get better at perfection on those margins. Um, And that's, that's how we build it out. So it's, it's finding that expert that we can build a team around finding someone that's amazing in that field. The most recent addition, and we have one coming soon, but our most recent build out was our con- branded content team. And we hired the VP of content from demand media and, and he came over and built out that team. So nice hire. He's been able to build that out. Now we have an offering with someone that's best in class to do it. We're now doing that with another service that we're actually buying a small agency, uh, rolling it in. And there he's taking over, he's creating that aspect of our services. And we've, got a great model for that, that it's all upside for all of us. I love that. And, and have you experimented, like when you're starting to add a new service to the agency, do you typically go out and hire kind of that lighthouse um, creative to lead it? Or do you kind of validate it through fractional teams or, you know, what's that no, process? You look like? in our company. So when we believe, like, again, we know enough about marketing that like we knew when we wanted to get into branded content, like advertising costs were rising, life cycle marketing and own marketing is becoming more important we were missing the opportunity for branded content. Our original branded content was like very weak. Like we're going to go hire some freelance bloggers to blog for you. Like that wasn't enough. And I knew we had to build that out because our clients needed it. So yeah. we can take the, we're big, we were big enough already. That was only a year and a half ago. So we were already big enough that we could absorb the salary of one person to start help building it out. And that's how we did it. Originally though, 
I just hired a person with the expertise I was using. It was Facebook search, email, influencer, web design, and overall marketing strategy. And that's how we started. That's what we originally spun up. And I knew those were the things my clients needed. And then as things got added, we, or as the things started to come up, I'd look for an expert to take over that piece. Nice. All right. Well, there you have it. That's a great strategy. Um, and now the next kind of piece of that, which is something I think almost every agency I've ever spoken to that's growing, especially once they kind of cross over that 50 employees mark is struggling with is, you know, managing capacity and hiring versus the pipeline. Um, sure. Obviously, you guys have figured that out to some extent, having grown as quickly as you did. But to be but how do you guys do that? Yeah, we just basically, we've, and we're doing better and better at this. We've articulated to our people. We try to give, keep, leave them 20% bandwidth. So everybody's always got 20% availability. And when we start to ramp up into that, when you start to use that extra 20%, then we go start hiring quickly. And now we have four-time full-time recruiters, or four full-time recruiters. So we, are, we always have people on deck. We're ready to hire. We're constantly interviewing. And we're ready to replace people and bring people on as quick as possible. And so, and then we have a full training onboarding system that like we've built out so we can ramp people up pretty quick. Um, but it's that 20%, like, honestly, this might, this month it might change, but I don't think we've grown 20% in a month in a very long time. This has been a rocket ship month for us. So it's a lot of fun, but that hasn't happened in long enough that, uh, we weren't really worried about growing 20%. Actually, even this month, we're not going to grow 21st. We're probably 15, which means to me, okay, so we're using three quarters of that extra bandwidth. We need to hire people. And we are, we're interviewing a ton of people. I think we hired three media buyers this week. So we still, uh, we have the team to help fill backfill that. And we try to keep bandwidth. And then we basically articulate to our employees, your job is between 40 and 50 hours a week. When we have full staff, you're going to work 40. And then in times when it gets more hectic or holidays, you're probably going to work 50. But when this is reality, our team doesn't work. Most of our team doesn't, work much more than that. Uh, even if, you know, when people are incredibly grinding, I've seen people get up to 60, maybe a little more, but this hasn't become a sweatshop like a lot of agency, agencies have where you're working day and night, going home to sleep for five hours and going back. We've never had that. Or I shouldn't say never. A year in, we had that, but for a couple months, but that's about it. Well, and this is, I think, an important thing to talk about, because to me, um, you know, when I talk about resource planning and time tracking and getting better at scoping, yeah, it's about making more money as a business. But that is, for me, one of the most important byproducts of getting good at those things is making sure you're not burning your team out, because that is so commonplace in the industry. Yeah, and we want to be, we call it the most comfortable place to be uncomfortable. Like, we want this to be a fun place to work. And so... We have unlimited vacations. We have, if people are performing, they work from home once a week. Like we, I hate it because it's the one thing I resisted, but we have kombucha on tap. We have like, <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a stupid expense, but we do a lot of things. To, like we, we literally have a giant projector and auditorium kind of room where like if any time of day you'll see sports playing on there, like people feel very at home here, which is super fun and what we want. I think that's part of it. Like culture trickles down. What I find important as a CEO and what my partner and COO find as important is what happens here and what gets managed against. And so those things that we've wanted here are exactly, we want this to be a place people want to work. And we want this to be a place that people, my partner calls it a people want to be from where it's like, if Hawk media is on your resume, you're known as a badass. And that's something we fulfilled. We get, it comes with the downside of people poach from us, but you also, because it's such a great place to work, people don't leave unless it's a really good offer. And like, there's a lot of uh, things that we try to create here to kind of sustain that part of it and allow people to enjoy it. 
Awesome, man. Now, the next thing that I want to dig into is a little more tactical, a little bit more granular, and it's really around what kind of systems you guys have installed in the business to make sure that you can measure all of these things that, you know, inform when you got to hire, how you're performing, you know, your core metrics, and then, you know, how you guys go about installing um, cadences for reporting so that everyone that you need to be informed is informed and is staying on top of these things. Real-time reporting on all of it. So we built our own ERP system that pulls in everything from our CRM to our project management to our timesheets to our... We don't charge for time, but we still track time allocation so we can optimize properly uh, to our QuickBooks, to our client, client data. So we can actually log in and I can tell you what the average retention per employee per month is, what the average overlap of retention is. So what is the best optimized team of strategist, email marketer, Facebook marketer, et cetera, to make the best performing team. Like I can look at all of this. And frankly, a lot of it's very consistent, which is nice. There's not that many outliers. If we see someone an outlier in a really high performing way, we obviously go in and try to figure out like what's going on here. How do we replicate this? And again, that's actually diminished because we've put so many systems in place that it's pretty consistent what you get. The only time we see is if there's a outlier on the bottom end of the scale and they're not retaining their clients or not performing very well. Generally, that's a PIP or a firing, and we're pretty objective about this stuff. And so we continue to try to create processes around that. And then, uh, and that again, our PL, all of that is reported in there. So we can literally just open up our own, we call it the Hawk portal, and manage our agency that way. And it's something we're probably going to productize whenever it's ready. And actually, we don't see it as a uh, strategic advantage. We just see it as if you can manage, like it's a little easier to manage the business. And so we're probably going to sell it to other agencies and let people use it. Cool. Spending way too much money to build it. <laughs> well, well, so this is my next question. Cause I mean, this is the reason that we started building Parakeeto was I'm sure you ran into this at some point. You were like, our data is kind of spread out across all these different tools. Answering yep. questions is too hard. takes too many spreadsheets, right? And that's why we started building Parakeeto. So th- um, I think there's a whole other call for you and I yeah, have outside like of this. <laughs> but um, just out of curiosity, if you could guesstimate how much it's cost you to build your own system for this, because I've spoken to a lot of yeah. other people that have done this. It's far um, from say done, and I think we're at 250 grand, and that's on the current iteration of the team. If I was going to count every team that ever tried to build software for us to use proprietarily, it's probably half a million. Yep, that sounds just about right. Which, it's, if I you told me that when I first started building the first platform, I would have said "fuck off," and I'm not doing that. <laughs> so it's it, and I know the story. I've heard the story. Like I've heard people tell. Like I remember when I started, people were telling me, "Oh, it'll cost you probably a couple million dollars all said and done to like build what you're trying to build." I'm like, "There's no way." And honestly, it's going to cost me a couple million dollars to build what I'm trying to build. Yeah. Yeah. It's it not an easy year before I get where I want to get with this thing. And completely like I'm looking at an, a whole machine learning AI aspect of this. Like there's a lot of vision I have for what we're building. All right. Well, yeah, mostly for our own use, but yeah, we, we definitely have to connect yeah. on a separate call. That's not broadcast to the world. Uh, Cause I think <laughs> we have a lot of similar ideas on how we should be solving this problem. Perfect. Um, All right. So we've talked about a lot of really interesting things here. I guess um, one more kind of tactical question before we bring this to a close is around, you know, at the different levels of the organization, what are some of the core metrics that you're looking at? So for you personally, what are the things that you're paying attention to? And then maybe your delivery team, what are some of the things that you're holding them accountable to? So sales and marketing, I'm looking at lead generation. In general, like I dive in deeper when there's a problem, but how many leads are we driving and how much revenue are we getting? like a new monthly recurring revenue on a, from the sales side, like how much new business are they bringing in on the uh, services side? It's retaining clients. What's our average churn of a client? How much revenue negative churn do we have in terms of growth of clients? 
Those are really the two metrics. So how much, frankly, upselling or growth are we getting as well as how little are we churning? Um, and then, so I have five departments, finance, accounting, or sorry, finance, uh, HR, marketing, sales, and services. Services, I'd say retentions, number one, sales, new monthly recurring business, marketing, new leads, finance, profitability, and uh, HR, employee retention and that sentiment. So it's pretty nice. straightforward. I try to keep it as simple as possible. And then when there's a problem, like I see three people quit the company or something, I go, okay, is this an actual problem that we have to fix? Or is it just a, you know, is it a one-off occurrence because it just happened to be a perfect storm? So I basically, my job now is about a third strategic where it's like, okay, where, where do I see things missing from one of the metrics I expect? Like I know my new business numbers, are we hitting them or are we sub? And if we're sub, why? Then I dive into the more of the metrics that drive that same thing with marketing, same thing with all these different departments, but now I have an executive on each of those departments to work with on those aspects. So that's one part of my job. Second part is promotional speaking, doing podcasts, uh, you know, trying to keep building the brand and getting it out there and keeping it top of mind. And then, a third is expansion. So we're doing a lot of acquiring of agencies and territory expansion. We opened New York. We'll probably have five different offices by the end of next year would be my guess. So yeah, building that up. Crazy, man. The growth is unbelievable. So I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that are like, I want to do what he's doing. So what advice do you have for the agency owners that, you know, are starting out, still have a small team, but have aspirations to grow quickly? Uh, you got two options. One is... I mean, if you really want to do it and you like, you got to really like it and not like it because of like the money involved. Cause like, I haven't taken money out of the company in over two years. So like if you're doing it for money, you're going to burn out so quickly because it is a grind. I mean, a service business, you're getting yelled at pretty consistently. You know, someone launches, you know, the shittiest product in the world and somehow gets into your marketing team and it's your fault that they didn't sell their terrible skin cream that gives people acne. Like I'm not saying that actually happened. I'm just giving a hypothetical. Like, just got to be ready to like roll with the punches, but that's any founder. You have to make sure you want to be a founder. And then frankly, I got really lucky. I have a great COO that allowed me to be the outward facing guy while he managed the day to day. And what we've done now, why we're getting so many acquisitions is because we're now becoming that for other agency founders where they can still grow it, still make great money, still build their business, but we can be the back office. So it's either find that person, be that person or partner with that person basically. I love it. And uh, I guess last but not least, if people want to follow you and what you're working on, what's the best place for them to connect and follow you online? Um, All social media at or slash Eric Huberman, E-R-I-K-H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N. Awesome. And you're flying all around the world, speaking and stuff like this all the time. So lots more from Eric. If you just start following those handles, I'm sure you'll (laughs) keep them up to date on where you are and what you're doing. I'm more than active on those handles, so we should be good. Awesome. Eric, this has been an extreme pleasure. I really appreciate you coming out here, being such an open book and adding so much value. For those of you listening at home, leave a comment wherever you're listening to this and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. Let us know what your questions are and uh, let us know how you're going to act on something that you learned listening here today. So Eric, thanks again for being on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. 
If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeta.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener and we will see you on the next episode.